It's my pleasure to welcome you this morning as we gather together to worship here at Community of Grace and uh, uh, appreciate all y'all. Appreciate the opportunity for us to gather together to uh, to worship. And uh, uh, today, you know, we've been praying for Miss Miss Maxie. I believe today is her birthday, uh, so y'all continue to remember Miss Miss Maxie and uh, and her healing. And appreciate y'all asking about Haley. She's better at home and. Uh, Baby Job's doing doing okay, doing work is continuing to work through. Um, are there other prayer needs, prayer concerns we can share together this morning? Gillison. Awesome God, we are so thankful for who you are, Lord, and thankful for the opportunity we have this morning to uh, uh, to gather together and to uh, share our lives, share concerns together, and Lord, just share uh, uh, a time of fellowship and a time of worship, Lord, and we thank you for the time at the beginning of this week to be still and know that you're God and to recognize your your glory and your majesty and our need and our weakness and our dependence upon you, Lord. And uh, do thank you for the beauty of this day, for the sunshine and the uh, warming up of the air and just the reminder of your care and provision for us, Lord. And, and Lord, we're thankful that we can come to your throne of grace in the name of Jesus and receive help and, and hope and, and time of need. And Lord, we, we thank you for Miss Maxie and we thank you for what she means to all of us as individuals and us as a church, and we pray you continue to work in her her life and her body and her family. Lord, we pray that you grant her healing and recovery, and Lord, just sustain Camille and uh, keep her uh, persevering and enduring as she provides care her mom needs, and just help her to be wise and gracious to the care team as they as they minister to her. And we pray that you would just give her great comfort and peace on this her birthday, and, and Lord, we're thankful for. Uh, your work and the lives of our, our kids and our grandkids, Lord, and the opportunity that we we have to uh, to be to be parents and grandparents and the joy that uh, that they bring to us, Lord, and just help us as as parents and grandparents to be uh, of adult children, parents of adult children, to be to be wise in how we uh, we relate to to them and help us to be a source of wisdom and counsel and grace as we as we continue to parent adult children and, uh, and grandparent our grandchildren, grant us wisdom and grace in that. And, and Lord, we uh, just thank you for our church and thank you for each one, Lord, and we pray that you would uh, be pleased to uh, send a revival to our land. Lord, we recognize we live in a country that's in need of your, your grace and your mercy, and we pray that you would be pleased to, uh, uh, to send your spirit to, to bring repentance of sin and a a turning back to you. We pray for those who are in authority over us that you would grant them wisdom as they rule and uh, make decisions that impact our lives. Lord, we pray that you would draw them to yourself and grant them repentance and faith and the wisdom that comes only from uh, your Holy Spirit and wisdom and truth as they as they lead and direct. And Lord, help us to uh, properly submit and to be wise as we line up under the authority, those who are in authority over us and uh, and help us as we seek to recognize that they are your servants and all power comes from you and help us to uh, to, to line up under under that proper authority. And Lord, we pray that as we worship, you would grant us grace and peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, our call to worship this morning is going to come from Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, where uh, God speaks the Ten Commandments to uh, uh to his people, 
And uh, we're going to be talking later in the service about the proper use of the law and the abuse of the law. And so to kind of set the table for uh, what we look at in Galatians and Paul's discussion of the law, we will look at the moral law of God handed down in the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who's in your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that you may fear, that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would uh, lead us in the fear of you the fear of the Lord. Lord, may we have honor and reverence and respect and awe for who you are. Lord, may the fear of you come upon us that we might not sin. Lord, help us to to walk in accordance with your truth. And Lord, help us also to recognize that we cannot uphold your law perfectly, that we have fallen, we have sinned, we are guilty, And we are deserving of your wrath. But Lord, we thank you that you have provided for us a way. That you sent your son Jesus who lived a sinless life according perfectly to your law and perfect righteousness. And then you sent him to die on the cross to satisfy your wrath against us lawbreakers. So that we might be forgiven and have the gift of everlasting life. Lord, we thank you for his resurrection. Declaring your sacrifice has been accepted and your wrath has been turned away from all who believe. And Lord, we thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit who 
convicts us of our sin, our helplessness, and our hopelessness, and convinces us to put our trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for our salvation. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to, to, uh, uh, to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we pray that this day that we would be the type of worshipers after which you seek, those who have come to you in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ our Lord, and those who now offer you worship, praise, adoration, and reverence and awe and fear. Lord, help us, empower us through your spirit to worship you in spirit and truth. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, I invite you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to hymn number 130. Right, as we continue to worship, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Continuing to look at this letter that the church that, that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to the churches that he established in the region of Galatia. We were studying through Acts chapter 14 and we saw uh, the first missionary journey where Paul went to uh, Antioch, uh, Pisidia, to Iconium, to Derbe, to Lystra, and established these churches as people came to repentance and faith as they heard the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. The Holy Spirit granted them repentance and faith, and these churches were established. And Paul and Barnabas uh, uh, went back through these villages through these towns and installed elders in every town on their way back to Antioch. And not too long after Paul had uh, uh, completed that journey, he began to get word that false teachers had come into the Galatian churches and were trying to turn the people away from the true gospel, the gospel of grace, salvation by grace alone, and were telling people they needed to observe the law in order to be justified. In addition to faith, they needed law and works. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul takes his pen in his hand and he writes this letter of correction, telling them that they were attempting to use the law to do something that it was never intended to do. It was never intended to tell us how we might be saved. It was instead to show us how desperately we need to be saved because we fall short of the law and we need a Savior. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this correction. And uh, as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is writing for us the very words of God. We believe Paul wrote these words, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit so that what he writes is true without error and sufficient for us even today. And so uh, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in the 10th verse, uh, he gets right down to, uh, the, to the fact that they were trying to use the law to do something that it had never been intended to do. The law cannot save us. The law can only condemn us. And so that's what he says. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let's pray together. 
Lord God, we are so thankful that you're a God who speaks. Lord, you're a God, a law-giving God. You created us, and as creator, you have a right to tell us how to live. You have told us what you require of us, Lord, and you have shown us that we all fall short of that holy standard and that we need a Savior. And you have spoken as your word became flesh and dwelt among us. You have spoken to us in Jesus Christ and your incarnate word. And Lord, you uh, showed us his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, his glorious resurrection, and then your Holy Spirit inspired the apostles and their close associates to write for us the New Testament. And Lord, we're thankful that you have spoken and we're thankful for the Holy Spirit now who leads us into truth. The same Spirit inspired this biblical author can illuminate our hearts and mind to truth. So Lord, we pray that your Spirit would do His work, convict, convert, Conform us to the image of Christ Jesus through the, the preaching of your word. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when Rachel and I were married, April the 1st, 1983, someone gave us a wedding present. They gave us a set of silver salad tongs. And uh, we had a set of silver salad tongs. Probably as a young married couple, we didn't have very much opportunity to use those things. But when we moved into a house that had a fireplace, we couldn't afford a set of fireplace tools. And so if I ever needed to tend the fire, you know, and, and pick up some of the logs and uh, move them around so that the fire would keep going, I'd go to the kitchen and get those silver salad tongs and use that to, to tend the fire. Um, and you can probably guess how that story ends. The uh, heat uh, melted the silver, and one time I was picking up a cedar log with those metal, those silver salad tongs, and they, they fell into the fire and were destroyed. My problem was I was trying to use those silver salad tongs to do something that they were never intended to do. <laughs> I was using them for a function for which they were not created. And you know the church in Galatia is doing exactly the same thing with the law. They are taking the law of God, which has a good and noble purpose, and they are trying to use the law to do something that it was never intended to do. The law was never given as a way for us to become justified before God. It was given uh, to condemn us, to show us that we need a Savior so that when Jesus came, we would be ready to repent and believe and put our trust in Him and Him alone for our salvation. And so the law was never intended to tell us how to be saved. The law cannot save us. It can only condemn us. And that's what Paul writes to these churches in Galatia. You are trying to use the law to do something that it was never intended to do. The law is to show us what God requires, to show us that we fall short of His holy standard. Therefore, the law puts us under its curse. We are guilty and condemned, and we can only be saved by God's free gift of grace through our faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so Paul, uh, you know, I, I, the, the Galatians were using the law and uh, for, for what it was never intended to do, but, you know... They had an advantage over me. I didn't have the right tools, and so I was using the wrong tool. But they've got the right thing. They've got the right tool. They've got the gospel that was preached to them by Paul when he came to them. They know the gospel, the good news of salvation by grace alone, apart from works of the law, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And so Paul writes this letter to correct them, to bring them back, and to show them the proper use of the law. 
And so he writes this letter, and the, the main point, he just says, For as many uh, as are of works of the law are under a curse. And so Paul writes this section, and he shows them the curse and the cross. The curse and the cross. And so as many as are under the law are under a curse. But God has provided for us in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so the point here is as many are under are of works of the law are under the curse. And the word curse just means God's judgment, God's righteous judgment. God is a righteous and holy God. And God demands justice and judgment. And those who fall short of his holy standard are deserving of his wrath, deserving of his judgment. They are under a curse, under God's wrath, deserving of God's righteous judgment. They have fallen short of the holy standards of the law. God is righteous and justice and holy, and he demands satisfaction. And they are under a curse that the wages of their sin is death. And so... Uh, he, he presents to us the curse, but he also presents to us the cure in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so let's look at how Paul makes this argument. Uh, he says in verse 10, For as many as are under the works of the law or under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And so all who are under the law are under a curse because the standard is perfection. The standard is perfection. Jesus himself said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Unless the righteousness, your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to say, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. The standard is perfection. And here Paul quotes from Deuteronomy, where he says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And because the standard is perfection, and we are incapable of perfectly obeying the law, all who under the law are cursed, or under the curse, Paul says. And because So all who are under the law are under the curse because the standard is perfection, and we cannot meet that standard. We fall short of God's holy standard. So we cannot work our way into salvation through the obedience to the law because we cannot perfectly obey the law. Well, let me give you a little test, uh, a ten-question test drawn from the text that we read earlier. Uh, the first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Have you ever, ever, one time in your life, valued something more than you value God? Have you ever ascribed worth to something so much that you're willing to sin to get it? Have you ever, even one time, valued something more than you value God? Question number two, uh, have you ever, you know, God tells us not to create any graven image, and he tells us how he is to be worshipped. Have you ever worshipped God in a way different than what he has required and worshipped him in a self-styled, man-made way, according to our traditions and preferences instead of what God has directed in his word, even one time, ever? He tells us not to use his name in vain. Have you ever, even one time, used the name of the Lord in vain? Number four, 
Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Do you have a pattern established in your life where you work for six days and on, a, on, 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 on the seventh day you refrain from working and spend time reflecting on God's creation and God's redemption? Do you have that pattern that you've never violated, not even one time, of six days of work and one day of rest? He commands us to honor your father and mother. Have you never, ever, ever, not one time in your life brought dishonor to your mom or your dad? Have you never failed to render proper honor to your mother and your father? Number six, thou shalt not murder. Have you, have you ever committed murder? Well, here maybe you say, well, finally, <laughs> finally I got one right. But then we look at how Jesus supplies this command in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause has committed murder in his heart. If you call your brother a fool, you're in danger of the judgment. Have you ever been angry at your brother without cause? Have you ever called anyone a fool? Have you ever hated someone? Even one time? Number eight, thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, applied as Jesus applies it on the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever looked at someone who's not your spouse to lust after them? Even one time. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Have you ever told a lie? Even a little white lie? Even one time? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever borne false witness? Number 10, thou shalt not covet. Have you ever looked at something that was not rightfully yours and desired it? Have you ever coveted something, desired something that belonged to your neighbor? Ever. Even one time. God's standard is perfection and if you've fallen in one point one time then you have become a lawbreaker and that's why that's why paul says as many are under works of the law or under the curse for it is written cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them and we cannot we have not continued in all of the things in fact we never even started out in all of the things that were in the law. As soon as we were capable of, of moral decision making, we decided that we wanted to be our own God and we put ourselves before God himself, violating that first commandment. As soon as we were capable of moral action, we made that choice. We have fallen short of God's holy standard. God's holy standard is perfection. And that is why Paul says that as many are under the works of the law are under the curse because cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things, all the time, that are written in the law. We cannot work our way to salvation through obedience to the law, because if we were to try to do that, the standard would be perfection. And so, Paul tells us that as many are under works of the law or under the curse, because the standard is perfection. And we have fallen short of that holy standard. The second thing that Paul tells us is that because as many are under works of the law or under the curse, that no one is justified by the, the law in the sight of God. Verse 11, no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. 
And so because the standard is perfection, because we are incapable of perfectly obeying the law, because we have fallen short of God's holy standard and we have become lawbreakers, not just once, just one time, but millions and millions of times over the course of our life, it is impossible for anyone to be justified by the law because the standard is perfection. And so those who try to be justified through the works of the law are under the curse because no one can be justified by the law in the sight of God. When we are governed by the law, when we're judged by the law, God judges us as lawbreakers, as objects of his wrath, those who are under the curse, the t- deserving eternal punishment in the fires of hell. No one is justified by the law in the sight of God. And so because as many are under the works of the law, uh, are under the curse because the standard is perfection. We fall short of that standard and we cannot be justified by the works of the law in the right in the sight of God. Number three, because those who are under the law are under the curse, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And so Paul says we can't be justified, be right in the eyes of God. We can't be declared not guilty and righteous in the eyes of God through observing the law. Instead, the just, the righteous, will live by faith. To, to be just is to meet God's holy standard. And we fall short of the standard of the law. But what does God require of us? God requires of us that we believe, that we trust, that we have faith in Him. That we recognize our helplessness and our hopelessness, our inability to live according to His holy standard, and we put our trust and our confidence and our faith and our belief in His promises of mercy and grace through sending us a Savior. A savior the just will live by faith. Because those who are under the law are under the curse, so the just, the righteous, will live by faith. And here, here, uh, Paul quotes from the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2. And uh, chapter 10, he quotes from Deuteronomy. And chapter uh, 11, he quotes from Habakkuk. And you remember the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk was uh, looking around his nation, the nation of Judah, the the, the so-called people of God. And he saw iniquity. He saw sin. He saw injustice. He saw violence. And Habakkuk looked at God's people disobeying God's law. And Habakkuk complained to God, how long are you going to tolerate this iniquity, this injustice, this lawlessness, this sin? How long are you going to tolerate this? Lord, your eyes are too holy to look upon iniquity, and yet here are your people blatantly disobeying and disregarding your law. How long, O Lord? And God answered Habakkuk and said, I'm going to discipline my people. I'm going to discipline by raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they will come and they will be the instrument of my judgment and my discipline upon my people. They will be punished and disciplined for their violation of the law. And Habakkuk thought about that a minute and he said, wait a minute, the Chaldeans are even worse. (laughs) The Chaldeans are worse than the Judeans. The Chaldeans don't even have the law, don't even pretend or make any effort. At least the people of Judah uh, have a little bit of understanding, a little bit of righteousness. And you're going to use the Chaldeans to come in as the instrument of your judgment upon your people? And God tells Habakkuk, well, don't worry, I'm going to get them too. 
<laughs> and I'm going to use them as the instrument of my judgment on my lawless people. And then I will judge them for their pride and their lawlessness. And then God tells Habakkuk, but the just will live by faith. The just will live by faith. God's people will be saved. They will be delivered. Not because they had obeyed the law. Because they had not. But they would be saved. They would live by their trust in God's promise of mercy. And his promise of grace. They would not be delivered because their obedience to law. Because they were disobedient. But they would be delivered by their faith. Their trust. Their confidence in God's Mercy and God's grace, the just, will live by faith. Those who are under law, who are trusting in their works, they're under the curse. But the just, the righteous, those who are accepted in the sight of God, will live by their faith, their trust, their confidence in God's promise and His provision of mercy and grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells them, as many are under the works of the law or under the curse because the standard is perfection and we have fallen short of that holy standard. Therefore, nobody can be justified by works of the law. Therefore, the, the just will live by faith. And what is their faith in? Their faith is in the redemption, the finished work of Jesus Christ in his death on the cross as he became the curse for us. So the just will live by faith and they will live by faith in the once and for all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ who has redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse for us through his death on the cross. Paul presents the curse and the cross. All who live under the law are cursed because they have fallen short of its holy standard. They cannot be justified by it, but the just will live by faith. They will live by their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Verse uh, well, I skipped verse 12. <laughs> but verse 12 says, Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Leviticus 18.5, telling us the same, the same fact that you, if you're under the law, you're obliged, you're obligated to, take, to live up according to the whole law. Therefore, you cannot be saved. But our hope then is through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so because those who are under law are under the curse, the just will live by faith. They will live by their faith in Christ alone who redeems us from the curse. And so the curse is God's wrath, God's righteous judgment, God's anger against lawbreakers. And all who are under the law are under the curse. And they're enslaved in bondage to sin. They cannot do good. There is none that is righteous, not even one. They, they cannot do good. They are in bondage. They are in slavery to the law. And therefore they're enslaved to the curse of the law. Then they have earned the wages of their sin. The wages of death. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. God is righteous and God is just. And he cannot set sinners free from the curse unless the price, the penalty, has been paid. God is righteous and he must punish sin. God is just and holy. And sin must be paid for. The price must be paid. 
And Christ paid that price. And he sets us free from our slavery, from our bondage to the law. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, setting us free from sin's penalty and in his resurrection from the dead, setting us free from sin's power. We cannot be set free from the curse through our effort, through our works, through our obedience. We are set free by the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus, the works of Jesus, the obedience of Christ, even unto death, even death on a cross. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Again, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. The standard of the law is perfection. And when we violate the law, we're under the curse of the law, and the wages of sin is death. And to publicly display that the sinner, that the cursed, deserved death, they would be hung on a tree to display the righteous demands of the law, to, 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 to display what God requires from those who violate His law. And in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, they would be stoned to death, and then they would be hung on a tree until sundown. To display the righteous demands of the law, the curse that we, our sinners, are under because of our disobedience, because our falling short of God's holy standard, a public display of the demands of the law. That the law demands obedience, and disobedience results in the curse, and that curse is displayed by the hanging on a tree. And in God's gracious providence, Jesus came and he was lifted up on a cross. Becoming the curse for us. And on the cross, God exacted the penalty, the payment that we deserve, that we owe. Christ redeemed us from the curse by paying the penalty, by paying the price, by meeting the demands of the law, by becoming the curse for us, by experiencing the full force of God's wrath on all who would believe. He became the curse for us by hanging on a tree. So those who are under law are under the curse because the standard is for perfection and we've fallen short of that standard. Therefore, we cannot be justified by our works on the law. But Christ has redeemed us from the demands of the law by becoming the curse for us and paying the penalty, the price that we deserve as lawbreakers. And then God raised him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted and God's wrath has been turned away. And this happens in verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Remember, Abraham was justified by his faith. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And God promised Abraham that through his seed would come a son, a greater son, that would, uh, that would be a blessing to all the world, to all the nations, to every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, all who come to him in faith. And so the physical descendants of Abraham are not all children of Abraham, but those who come to God by faith. Those are the children of Abraham that receive the blessing of Abraham and receive the promise of the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sins, converts us to faith in Christ Jesus, and conforms us to his image and is the evidence and the, and the proof, the seal of our salvation. And the Holy Spirit also coming in to give us power over sin and death. And so we're not justified by works of the law, but when the Holy Spirit comes, He empowers us to live according to the law and do that which is pleasing to God's sight. 
we cannot be saved by works of the law. The law can only condemn us. But when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're set free not only from sin's penalty, but from sin's power. And the Holy Spirit enables us to live according to the law of God and do that which is pleasing in His sight. And so Paul says you're using the law to do something it was never intended to do. You're adding the law to, to faith and you're, you're preaching a false gospel or believing a false gospel that you're saved by God's grace through faith plus works. But those who are under the law, and if you, uh, if you put yourself under the law, then you're obligated to obey all of it all the time. And you can't do that. The law cannot save you. It can only condemn you. And so don't use the law to do what it was never intended to do. Let the law do its good and godly and holy purpose and show you that you fall short and that you need a Savior. And then put your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone who became the curse for us by hanging on a tree and He redeems us from the curse of the law, from sin's penalty and sin's power. Come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Believe in Him and Him alone, the righteous, the just, those who are accepted in God's sight, those who are right in His eyes. They live by faith. They recognize their helplessness and their hopelessness and God's provision of mercy and grace through Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save all those who believe, to pay the penalty for all those who believe. And God raised him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. Paul says, let the law do its work. Let it do what it was intended to do. Show you your need. To trust in Jesus. And it's so important. And Paul has said in chapter 3 verse 1. That these Galatians. Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among them as crucified. And we talked about one of the ways that Christ is portrayed. Before us as crucified. Is through the effective uh, Holy Spirit anointed preaching of God. Of Christ, preaching of the cross, preaching in such a way that the, through the eyes of faith we can see Jesus crucified. We can see him experiencing the full force of God's wrath. We can see the blood, the life's blood poured out for his enemies so that his enemies might be saved. And so, one of the ways that Paul portrayed the, 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 the Jesus Christ before them, before their eyes is crucified, was through the preaching of the gospel. And the second way that Jesus Christ can be portrayed before our eyes as crucified is through the ordinance that we will observe today. As we set before ourselves these elements that Jesus gave us to remind us, bring to our remembrance the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf, to, to, to bring to our remembrance his death, his body, and his blood poured out for his enemies so that they might become his brothers and sisters, join heirs with him through their faith in Jesus Christ so that they might be adopted into the forever family of God. And so we set these elements before us because we need a reminder. It is so easy. It is so easy for us like the Galatians to, to, to drift 
from our confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ and begin to put confidence in our own selves again, our own works, our own goodness, the, the fact that we're not as bad as people around us, we, we can be tempted to, to put confidence in our own self-effort, in our own goodness, in our own works, our own religious activities, maybe some rituals or ceremonies, maybe even this ceremony. We can put our, our faith in what we're doing and in our works and our observance of the law. And our confidence can shift from Jesus to ourselves. And we begin to think that we're doing a good job and that we're working and that we're somehow earning God's acceptance or making Him love us more by the works that we do. And we constantly need to be reminded that it is not of works. It's not of our goodness. It is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes us worthy. It's not our effort. And so we're so tempted to drift into self-confidence, self-trust, that we set these elements to remind us that it's Christ who has redeemed us from the curse of the law by being hung on a tree, pouring out His life's blood for His enemies so that they might be saved. We set these elements before us to remind us not of works it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone if we try to earn it ourselves then we're obligated to keep the whole law all the time which we cannot and so God in his mercy and grace sent Jesus who satisfied the demands of the law for all who believe and sets us free from sin's penalty and from sin's power, we no longer have to fear the curse of the law. When we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, and these elements remind us. And so Paul has set the table for us by reminding us that those who are under the works of the law are under the curse because the standard is perfection. We cannot be justified through works of the law because we cannot obtain perfection. And so the just will live by faith, and they will live by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and in Him alone for our salvation. And so we come to the table. And here at Community of Grace, we practice close communion. We believe that, uh, that, that communion is community and celebrates our communion with God through our faith in Jesus Christ, but it also celebrates our communion, our unity with one another as members of a church that have covenanted fit together to be God's people at this place and in this time. And so we, we celebrate our covenant commitment to one another as members of Community of Grace Baptist Church. And so therefore we, we practice closed communion. And Paul warns us to examine ourselves before we take of the elements, before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, he warns us to examine ourselves and to make sure that our trust and our confidence is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Not in our works, not in our religious activity, not in anything about us. But we have put our trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And we have followed Him in believer's baptism. And we have covenanted together with a local church to be His people at this place, at this time. And that we are living in community. And that there's no broken relationship. There's no unforgiveness. There's no schism in the body. And so he tells us to reflect before we come 
to the table. And as we reflect, I want us to sing a, another hymn.